0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, so we're in Colossians 1, 1 through 2, as Pastor Rodney was saying. We are, bring me down a little bit, fellas, if you can. We are in the Rooted series, and one of the reasons we're doing the Rooted series is because, um, man, I just, I've been running into so many people that are just kind of in this kind of middle ground on the fence with their faith, right? People who I've even esteemed for a long time as believers, and then I talk to them or I haven't seen them in a minute, I'm like, yo, where you at? And they're kind of like, "Uh, we're in this weird place, and usually it's, Um, uh, uh, You know, a bevy of things or whatever, right? And I don't say this or whatever to... I I think that we're all susceptible to that happening. Um, In different times, I think in different seasons in our life or whatever, we maybe fall back a little bit more than we should or or all kind of different things. But because I see this being so rampant, and it's not like it's just rampant this season, it just is what it is. And it's one of the things that have always been consistent in the church. And I'm going to show you that in the text today where... It seems like the enemy is always, I won't say it seems, he most definitely is always trying to unroot and pull us away from Jesus, right? So he's basically always trying to get the the, the, the the limb away from the vine. So we're disconnected because he knows if we're disconnected, then we got a problem on our hands. Y'all with me so far? So this morning, I want to encourage you through the text. Um, and this... This, this sermon, just working on it, really convicted me. So you may feel some of the conviction as well. I'm praying that you do in a healthy way because we have uh, forgiveness and, and, and uh, grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, so there's no condemnation for us. So we're able to actually look it in the face or whatever and allow God to kind of lean on us, all right? Y'all with me so far? All right. So Colossians 1, 1 through 2, let me read this text to you, and I'm going to move kind of fast because in my mind, I think I have a short sermon, but I think I'm lying to myself. So... We're going to try to make sure you can get to, um, to Quincy's for dinner today. But y'all know about Quincy's? Y'all know about Quincy's up in here. All right. Y'all sleeping, man. Y'all sleeping. All right. Colossians 1 says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So me and and Pastor Rodney and uh, Elder Tony, we were looking through the text and like going through this series and you know, we just saw this intro and we were like, man, that intro is so gangster. So much in it, you know what I'm saying? And like, but you might be looking at it like, all right, he told us his name, put a name tag on. That's what, you know, are you gonna preach from it? But the context here is everything, right? For the, you, you know how like, you know what I'm saying? Like this happens with me and my wife. Like I'll say something and I think I'm saying it in a nice way, but she'll be like, you have an attitude? So she's like, why did you say it that way? And I'm like, what you mean? I just said it, you know? And she's like, nah, you ain't just say it. You said it. <laughs> That's when I know I'm in trouble, you know what I'm saying? But she's asking me, she's like, I want to know the context of why you said it because it, 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 it in, informs the why, why you use the expression and everything that was in the, what you're saying. And Paul makes a very peculiar statement or a specific statement because of the context of what's going on in Colossae when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then in verse two, he says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father. All of that means something, right? And so here's the, here's the situation. This is what's going on in Colossae. There's heretical teachings growing rampant in Colossae, right? People are looking to undermine the Christ and the identity of believers in Christ, and Paul is looking to address these untruths. So when he steps into this thing to make this statement, he's trying to let them know who he is and what they are, right? Because we're not unpacking the rest of of Colossians today, but when we get into it as we go through this series, you'll see, like, okay, he's actually jabbing at something or whatever, like something's popping off here that, that Paul is not feeling, and he's really trying to get at it for these people to encourage them and to point them back to Jesus and to get them rooted. I'm going to say the word rooted so much it's going to get on your nerves. I'm just letting you know, all right? You're going to go home and you're going to let all your plants die. You'll be like, I don't even feel like rooting nothing or doing anything. I will not want to touch nothing with roots, all right? I need no, anyway, sorry. All right, so let's look at Colossians 2.16 really fast because this gives us a glimpse. We'll be preaching this eventually, but it gives us a glimpse of what he's dealing with. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Paul is basically, y'all know people like this, and if you don't know people like this, then you know Instagram and Facebook. You're not like, I get depressed when I go on Facebook. And I'm just talking about dealing with the Christians, because people be like dropping verses and be like, all of y'all suck, basically. Like, like they somehow, even with the word of God, will just like drop it on you like, you ain't doing enough. You ain't it. You know what I'm saying? I was talking to an angel last night face to face or whatever cherubs was floating over me last night. What's your, what's your life like? You get where I'm coming from and you're like, Dad, yo, then you just be like, man, what? I just, I just prayed for 12 minutes last night. That's the longest I did in the past two years. I ain't got nothing. You get where I'm coming from? Like, this is the game that's getting played. This is asceticism. It's people who are like getting away from God. Listen to what he actually says here. He says, He says, He says, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So he's saying, like, they're talking all this extra nothing, but then slid away from Jesus who holds all of it together. Amen. Right? You know how it goes, people will run up on you and start talking about biblical, historical stuff, whatever, and be like, you don't even know what, like the temple, do you know the measurements of the temple? Oh, you don't even know the measurements? (sighs) Yo, the measurements will not do anything for you when it comes to Judgment Day. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will. You get where I'm coming from? So it's foolishness, but it's a game. And this, we're we talking about back in biblical days or whatever, this is the game that has always been played. And I guarantee you, if you go home and you get on social media, you see it played today. Some of your family members play with you. You are not enough. That Jesus thing you're talking about is not enough. And then they'll sprinkle Jesus back on the top, put, put him with the cherry on top after they run some silly games on you. So Paul is like, I got a problem with this, right? You're messing with the people God has called me to love and serve. And in verse 20, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why are you letting these people run game on you is what he's asking. Now he's mocking. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human preachings and precepts and teachings. These have, in, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, which is hyper-religiosity, right, or severity to the body, like, you know, I don't do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and therefore I'm holy. People actually trying to set up their status in God in what they do or don't do versus what Jesus has actually done for them. Y'all with me so far? That's a suckers game. Don't fall for it, church, All right. Asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The flesh is wicked. None of that stuff does anything for that. Only the blood of Jesus wipes our sins away. So we see it in the text hyper religious, and this is running rampant, right? The beauty of Christ is being stomped on. There's informational wars, there's worshiping of angels, there's hyper spirituality, right? the people's identity was being shaken up, right? You know what the problem is with the game that people play like this? Is that most of us that fall for this stuff and get kind of shaken into this kind of lukewarm on-the-fence place, most of us have put like a 100 times more hours into pursuing God than these people who have actually come up on some new information they found from some person they have no idea about on Instagram and start throwing it to you to trip you up but they come with it and then we, next thing you know, we may not even go completely cold against God and we may not go hot into whatever new thing they preach to us, but we find ourselves in this kind of lax place. Y'all with me so far? End up going lukewarm. So Paul here is going at that and he's also making sure that they grasp his identity and his authority to teach and shepherd them. So he's setting it up by the will of God, right? I'm an apostle. And then he is exemplifying his identity in Christ, and he is proclaiming theirs, right? He calls them saints and faithful brothers, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So he's establishing all of those things in his statement. He wants to make sure it lands, Right? Paul was an apostle. Let me explain to you what Paul knew that being an apostle meant for him. Like, because it's important when he makes that statement, it's just not a dope title to to throw out. It actually meant that he was postured in a particular way in his life, in the way that he saw Jesus and what Jesus had called him to and the identity that Jesus gave him, right? In 2 Corinthians 6, 3, he, he, he says it like this right here. Because this is important also, because a lot of times when people are getting shaken and they're falling for sucking stuff too, it's because sometimes we're just not comfortable. Like life is just not easy. So the enemy kind of plays at that. Because in our minds, we've neglected to believe that the world is as broken as the word of God tells us it is. That it's subject to futility, right? And so then we're like, no, we paint this cute picture of it and then it doesn't give us that back and we're like, man, I got all the stuff and all the things and it still is emptiness. Or I just can't seem to get all the stuff in things, which is emptiness because our affections are in the wrong place. So Paul is saying, let me tell you what it means for me as an apostle, where, we at, where we're at with it. Second Corinthians 6, 3 says this. says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, listen to this right here. This is what we commend ourselves to. He says, we commend ourselves in every way. Now listen to this list. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through, the, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters, and yet we are the truth. Yet we are true. Yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. This is what Paul, when they say like, Paul, what's your life like? He's like, this is what it's like for me. And for him, this is glory. This is what Jesus has given to him as a gift, right? Satan's not going to come and be like, yo, look at you, man. You're up in jail, man. Look at you, you're a hot mess right now. He'll be like, yeah, this is what it is, and God is getting glory to this. He is postured in this understanding of how God is actually using him, that when he is in this place, if I'm in a jail cell, then this is exactly where God needs me to be. Do you understand where I'm coming from? He's made peace with that. He's looking towards eternity, towards what God has on the other side of all of this, and hope and it's posturing him to stand in the middle of this. This is what it's going to be as a believer for me. Just like he told Timothy, sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ. I'm, making, I'm doubling down on this point because we have to understand, as a Christian and Christian identity, suffering goes with it. It goes with it, it's just a part of what it is. There's no if ands, or buts about it. If you are a Christian and you are functioning in a broken, corrupt, broken historical narrative, manipulation, lies, broken prison systems, all of that, that corrupt the world, and you are Christian with eyes wide open to see, then you can't do anything but suffer. You get where I'm coming from? We've sanitized holiness into this thing where we think, oh, if I live a holy life, things are going to be easy for me. That's not biblical. Holiness produces suffering. Jesus, in his perfection, which is a, doesn't do the trick for who Jesus was, right? Perfect. The Lamb of God, he suffered because he had 20-20 vision. He could see the world. So it's suffering, grieving. You understand? Bearing the, the, the heaviness and the weight of it, looking at people who are calling for his death and, and still having compassion for them. He suffered more than anybody ever has or have ever will. And holiness will do the same for us. Listen to this right here, verse 11. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. He's saying we ain't holding nothing. We ain't got no cards behind our back. We're not playing no games with you, none of that stuff. He says, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. That's, that's, that's the elephant in the room. That's the bomb on the table. That's the bomb on the table because that is, I don't even know what bomb on the table means, but it just sounds like it's worked so good right now. All right? This is the bomb on the table. I don't know, whatever. We got to do something with it because this thing is ticking or whatever. He says, you are not restricted by us. You are restricted in your own affections. So he says, yo, we ain't playing hide and seek with Jesus. We're not, we made the path to Christ very straight, all of these issues you got or whatever, you're playing games. These are your own affections for your appetites and everything else that you actually want and can't get and everything else. You're playing games. He said, you're restricted by your own affections and you're reaping the result of it. He's saying, yo, your affections are lukewarm. We have an epidemic of lukewarmness in America. We have Starting from the beginning of, this, of, of, of our, our history, we have done this thing where we are actually taken Christianity and draped it in the American flag. When we should have been draping America in Christianity, right? I'm not talking about the Christian game. I'm talking about followers of Jesus. That that everything has to bow to the truth of the gospel, not get twisted when, when what we want is jeopardized. Y'all get where I'm coming from? I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our country. I'm saying that God and Christ reigns supreme over our country. That's what I'm saying, right? Instead, religion has leveraged it for loyalty and devotion and commerce and trampled the gospel underfoot, or well, tried to. So we have an identity crisis as, as believers, as a country, right? We have an identity crisis. It's tried to rewrite what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's trying to, it's trying to undo the gospel, the pure and holy gospel, and Paul is dealing with the same situation, right? I'm going to read something to you from Revelations 3.14 if you want to turn there. This is, this, is, um, in, this is talking to the church of uh, Laodicea. Laodicea, excuse me. Laodicea is the proper pronunciation, but it's speaking to this church. This is the thing about it. So Laodicea is right near Colossae, Right? Towns, the cities are right next to each other. Matter of fact, they were destroyed by the same um, earthquake back in the day, whatever, right? But the condition, the context, and the situation of this city is very similar. So I guess I'll say it like this Colossae is very much like Laodicea, and Laodicea is very much like America, right? This is why I'm tying all of these things together because of their the proximity in some senses, right? Paul says this, and you'll you'll see it when I read this to you. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. Listen to this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is why I was making the point earlier. A lot of times we don't go all the way hot with whatever the deception is. And we don't go all the way cold towards Christianity or the gospel. We just find ourselves in this lukewarm place. But it looks to me in this text that God has disdain for lukewarmness, right? Right? And we're not talking about works. So I don't want anybody going, my God, I need to get to work and do some Christiany things. Because I don't know what that is. The Christiany thing and the lukewarmness is this thing where they can't see Jesus no more. They can't see Jesus' work. You understand where I'm coming from? Listen to this right here. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel, to you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, really rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my, father in, on, on, with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Did you hear that? For you say, I am rich, I prosper, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They can't see, that's the problem. They can't see, you understand? That's the problem and it's always the problem. It's when the cross starts getting real foggy and blurry. You understand what I'm talking about? Like us losing our affection for Christ, it starts when the, when the cross stops looking so big and beautiful. And it stops looking so big and beautiful is when you start getting lullaby to sleep and you start thinking that you are actually rich and actually in need of nothing. The gospel is beautiful to the person who actually is wretched, like Paul declared of himself. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me but Jesus? Right? When you're poor, when you're blind and you're naked, when you don't fall for this sanitized idea of being rich and that doesn't eat you alive, but God is giving you eyes to see through Jesus Christ, right? It's because the cross declares us poor, it declares us wretched. It says that Jesus is holy, high, and lifted up, and it leaves us in this place where God, oh, God have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That, this is, that's the proper balance. Mercy is yours. God, I'm disgusted and I'm dirty. Cleanness is yours. Righteousness is yours. I give you my perfect resume. I give you feel dirty. I give you my cleanness. You're broken. I give you. I give you everything. I'll give you a new body. I'll give you eternity. You feel like you're dying. I'll give you life. When I used to be lost, I used to have so much. If I just looked around, my friends and everything, I had the money, the gold, the things. I was doing my thing. I was traveling and everything else. And I felt like I was suffocating. I'm not saying that just to, 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 to add a little exclamation point. I used to say that to God all the, time, all the time. I wasn't a Christian. I would come on my porch every day, and I'd smoke a cigarette, and i lived live on the third floor, and I'd look up at the sky, and I'd be like, why do I feel like I am suffocating all the time? That's how I always felt. That's how I always felt. They can't see. They can't see. They could see. Things start getting prosperous and easy. And, and they begin to look in the mirror, and they ain't see the truth. They thought they were cute. They got cute. They had an identity crisis. Um, last night, me and my wife were fishing. We caught three fish, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and. She asked me this question, you know, because she's an electrical engineer and she knows about all kind of crazy stuff, like, you know, that I have no idea, whatever. But then she hits me with these wild questions sometimes where I'll just be like, what what did you just ask me? And she says, Jay, do you think the fish like can see down there in the dark? (laughs) She's like, it's so dark down there. You think they could see at night like that? Do you remember what I said? I said, of course baby, they got 2020 fission. (laughs) I didn't know if y'all was gonna like that one. I was ready to duck from the tomatoes. I thought, yeah, I didn't know y'all was gonna like that one. But I said, you know what I'm saying? Seriously, I didn't say that for real. I was like, yo, they got 2020 fission, right? And then we didn't conversate about it no more. I said it like it was a real thing, because you see, she was like, I don't, don't, we just kept talking, whatever, you know? but I said they got 2020 vision. They can see in the dark. And I'm trying to be funny and everything, but dead serious or whatever. Like Christ gives us 2020 vision. The problem here is that when it gets dark and when the enemy comes with these games and he starts polluting the gospel and he starts trying to trample Jesus and he starts doing things that like look like they look like godliness, but they're just a form of godliness and have no power at all. Because they don't, they're not, they have nothing, they're like, there's nothing about the blood of Jesus and the holiness of Christ even esteemed in it. It's more so people playing mind games and boosting up their own self-righteousness. All of the silliness that just gets so confusing and tries to trample and pull God down. It gets dark. It's dark right now. It's dark there. In Laodicea, it's dark. In Colossae, it's dark. Paul is saying, this is a problem, so I need to preach this truth and make it very, very, very clear that Jesus is the end-all, be-all, forever, eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And we have nothing outside of him. We have nothing to add to our holiness. We have nothing to bring. This is a gift we receive by his goodness, not ours. He's beating on the table making this clear. And he does it with his introduction. It's by the will of God we preach this. Y'all are saints. Y'all are faithful brothers. People of Colossae had forgot who Christ was. And Paul reminded them. So in verse 2 he says, to the saints and to the faithful brothers, right? He wants them to remember their name. He wants them to remember who God has called them to be, the title that he has given them. He wants them to remember what Jesus Has done That the title isn't just a cute name because we're a new crew and a clique now and we're going to get you an awesome nickname like like Neckbone or something like that or whatever and stuff. And, you know, my real name is Jerry. I'll take Neckbone. Give me anything, whatever. But all I'm saying is this was about Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus purchased you the title Saints. I'm saying this to all of y'all right now. You may feel like I don't feel very saintly. It doesn't matter how you feel. The blood of Jesus is what purchased that title for you. The blood of Jesus is what extinguished and removed all your transgressions that might be whispering in your ear right now, saying like, "You're filthy. How can you be a saint? This isn't about how awesome you are. It's about how awesome Jesus is. He's in the business of taking wretches and turning them into royalty. It's what he's done for all of us. And when we lose sight of what he has done, then we begin not to be able to see anymore. And then everything gets real weird and funny. So he calls them saints and he calls them faithful brothers. I want to read Hebrews 10, 11 to you. And I want you to think about this for yourself when I'm reading it. But Paul is doing a bit of chastising here, and it's a, it's a bit of a heavy, heavy statement. But I want you to feel it. It's Hebrews 10:11. He says this. He says, "About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principle of the oracles of God." You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature and for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Paul's having one of those real gangster conversations with somebody right here, right? To the people here. And so when you look inside of James, he says, not many of you should be a teacher but he's talking about the role of actually being a teacher here he is talking a little bit different for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God he is saying that you have actually sat around for a very long time in this middle space where you didn't grab a hold of the gospel in a very real serious way, right? He's like, you know, it's the thing where like, you know, well, let me say it like this. I say this example to y'all all the time. Like as a parent, one of the things that bother me the most is when my kids don't look out for each other and take care of each other when they mistreat each other, when they are not mindful of their brother and sister. One of the things I celebrate the most is when I see, like if one of the kids, you know, we got 10 of them, whatever, so sometimes, you know, um, you know somebody might be behind the car or whatever and stuff, you know, and, and, and trying to be a speed bump for the van or something like that, and then one of the big kids will run out and grab them and pick them up and be like, nah. You know what I'm saying? I always be like, there you go. That's, that, that just does something to me, right? Their care for each other, their love for each other. But that thing I'm describing is Christian identity. It's what Christ has given us when he proclaims us to be family. These aren't just words and scribblings inside of a book. This is Jesus himself, right? The word became flesh, the word is him. So when he talk, calls us family, it's not a whatever kind of thing. When he calls us believers, followers of Jesus, when he brings us into his marvelous light, it's not anything for us to be nonchalant about. Our posture isn't that we just like, we're church attenders. Do you get where I'm coming from? I know it stings a little bit, but I want y'all to grab it with me because I want you to carry it home and take it before the Lord and let him do what he does with it for you. He's pushing on me too. Even as my role as pastor, like, homie, lean into some things a little bit more. This is what I've called you to do, Right? And it's not about the idea of working to earn anything. I'm a child of God. I'm not under condemnation, but I am under wanting to please my father, right? It's a difference from running the race and trying to earn your father's love rather than I already got my father's love. I'm just trying to kill a race because he's so awesome and I want to make him proud. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's a different kind of posture. So I'm not talking about trying to earn anything. I'm talking about he's done something so marvelous, and when we see what he has done, I believe it, it, it garners a response, right? It garners a response. Not that we owe it. It doesn't get him any, us any closer to him in the sense of making his love more profound for us, but the realization of its profoundness may be the fruit of that, right? but also loving our brothers and sisters being knit more closely in the body of God in the mission of what God has called us to and the mission of this church into the community and to our brothers and sisters and neighbors or whatever, not letting our brothers and sisters, not being nonchalant and just being a, a, a person that comes, but actually like caring like, yo, I think one of our brothers and sisters is running out behind the car right now. We need to go snatch them. Y'all get where I'm coming from? That's not just the pastor's job in the church. That's every single one of our jobs. Y'all with me? So I want to encourage you. I'm going to read some scriptures till I'm blue in the face real quick. Well, maybe not real quick, but I'm going to read them. And I just want you to roll with me. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this. says, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Y'all catch that? It's posture. We've been raised with Christ. It tells us a marvelous thing right there. It's not just a statement to be nonchalant about. We've been raised in Christ. We've literally been raised from the dead. So being that that is actually true, let's get our eyes on things from above. Why will we wallow in dead things when we've been given the gift of life? Y'all understand where I'm coming from? John 1.12 says this, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are children of God. That's who you are. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my, you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's who we are in this crazy world. Y'all with me so far? 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus' death on the cross rewrites everything for us. Once we had not received mercy, now we have mercy. Once we were not royalty, now we are royalty. We are a royal priesthood. Holy Nation. First John 3, 1 John uh, 1-2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God and children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jeremiah 1.5 says this. This is Jeremiah talking, and this is more so about him or whatever, but this still applies to us, whatever. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet, to the nations. What I want to tell you is this right here is like Jeremiah, you were all set apart. There's no just your you, you know, some some deep moral, um, self-righteous thing that just brought you into church, that put you here in front of the gospel today for you to hear it. Like God is actually doing a work in front of you before you were even inside of you, before you were even born, before you even thought about, God actually thought about you and already ordered your steps you were literally set apart, right? This is important because what I'm talking about when we talk about lukewarmness is falling for what the world says is real and then us actually being very nonchalant about the work of God in us through Christ Jesus and him setting us apart. If we are set apart, what did he set us apart for? To proclaim the beauty of what he's actually done. But if it stops, we can't see anymore and it stops being beautiful to us. Then what do we proclaim? There's nothing to proclaim but what the world gives us to proclaim. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Romans 6 says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you're no longer ruled by sin. You aren't who sin says you are. You aren't what you used to be whatever nickname they gave you because you used to be a good practitioner of the sin you did, that's no longer who you are anymore, right? I'm reading scripture to you because one of the things I want to exemplify to you this morning is that the word is what edifies us. God uses his word to cleanse us. He uses it to posture us and set our eyes on him. When we have a long day of getting beat down by Satan's lies and all of these things that are attacking who you are, being at work every day, being trampled by bosses or whatever, people throwing attitudes with you, throwing you off point, and now you're ready to choke somebody or whatever back in the lunch break room or whatever, or take a bite of their sandwich or whatever, or whatever it may be. Knowing you didn't brush your teeth this morning, but you took a sip of their Coke in the fridge. All these evil things. Got to make sure y'all awake this morning. All of these things, right? It happens. We're made of flesh. But God, he... Rinses us with his word. He keeps, he, he, he turns our eyes towards him. When I feel like nothing and I look at this and he's like, nah, you're a chosen race. You're my son. I love you so much that I, my, this adoption or whatever, like, it, I sent my other son to die for you. His blood secured that. You understand? Before you were even formed, Set your part. Everything that the world told you were, that was, that's all lies. When you see your old homeboys and they're like, yo, man, you remember you did this, this, and that? You're talking about a dead person alive in Christ now because of what Jesus has done. Y'all with me so far? I'm going to wrap this up with this or whatever, but the other day I was talking, about, um, I was talking to my daughter, Monty we be on the phone all the time. I know I'm always telling y'all stories and conversations we have or whatever, but. Um, so I was talking to her and she was telling me about this, uh, this kid that she counsels. And, and uh, she was telling me she was like, man, I, I really don't want to meet with this kid today or whatever. Last time I met with him, it was just really discouraging. He wouldn't talk and anything or whatever. And so she meets with him and then she calls me back and she was like, man, we had a great conversation today. It was so good. We started even talking about the gospel and she was like super excited. And I said, well, what happened, you know, with the situation? She said, well, he started telling me his story finally. He even asked to meet, you know, like you know, some more and stuff. And one of the things that this kid told her, he said, he said, you know, I'll, he said I knew my father was a bad guy he said but when I was 13 years old the day before my birthday my father got arrested for a robbery and he said and he said he totally said I I was really surprised because I knew he's rough I know he's a thing he's out robbing people right so in this 13 year old mind that was really bad because it is really bad but anyway so um, you know but he said he totally said He told me when he was leaving out the house, when the police were taking him, he told me, he said, man, I was trying to get something special for your birthday. You know? Said, I messed up, buddy, or whatever, something like that. Um, And he he went on to tell Monty, he said, that's where it changed for me. He said, like, seeing my father like that, this kind of thing being shattered of, I didn't think that that was him. He was like, that's when I started getting expelled out of schools. And this kid that I'm talking about is he's active. Like he's active, active, right? So he was telling her, he's like, you know, he was talking to her about the first time he ever shot anybody and and how scared he was and how he got good at it over time. And he was just going through some really, really heavy stuff and just breaking it down to her. And he was like, you know, I have a kid now, he's fighting this case right now. And he said, I have a kid and I really want to change and do something better. But he ends the whole conversation and he says, but I just, it just is what it is though. I hear that so much with the kids that I deal with and work with. It's this hopelessness, right? It's this, if you work with kids, you do any kind of work with kids, that is the hardest thing to deal with. It's this like this hopelessness that feels like it's the air everybody breathes, right? But it's not just in the streets and it's not just in a circumstance like that. That hopelessness actually sits often inside of the church and in the body of believers. It's part of what Satan starts releasing in the air to woo us away. That's how he starts to make it foggy and starts blinding us to where we can't see anymore. You understand? We can't see the people next to us in the body. We can't see our brothers and sisters. We can't see the Lord anymore. We just see ourselves. then all the decisions we make are about us. If it doesn't quite feel good to me, then I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it. All we see is ourselves. It's just the room gets super foggy. And the reason I'm telling you this right here, and I wanna leave this with one of the main points that, that I make for you is because, you know, I, God, doesn't tell you every single thing, right? He he calls us into a life of faith, right? When we see Jesus, we're compelled. And that thing that we're compelled with, that's our faith. That's the faith. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our faith is based on what we actually hope in. If you have no hope in anything, then your faith is dead. If you have no hope in anything, and if you have no hope in Christ, it means you can't see Christ, like the people in Laodicea, right? They couldn't see. They couldn't see. And so I want to encourage you today is that God is not going to lay down every single step of what you're supposed to do. He's going to call you and say, follow him. always say it like this right here. I feel like God takes you to whatever cliff you're supposed to jump off, and he makes that clear, and then he just says, now you have to jump by faith. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? He says you got to jump by faith. It's not guaranteed to have an awesome sermon at church. You have to go by faith. It's not guaranteed that the person you go serve is going to be grateful or thankful. Foot washers by faith to the glory of God. We do what we do because of what God has actually done to us, right? And we lavish it on other people, whether they deserve it or not. It's faith. Our hope that we have in our present moment when we are going through it and, we are, and when we are, are, are encouraged and comforted, it's not because God always makes everything perfect in the moment. Sometimes we are left right in the midst of the turmoil we're in, but by faith because we know what's coming because we know what he has done through Jesus Christ, because of what we know that he has secured by way of the death of Jesus on the cross. When we are feeling condemned, when, we, when, we, when, we, when a sin besets us and we feel disgusting, it is wiped away because of the work of Jesus. That is what he puts in front of us. That is where our faith lives, and that is what moves us. So this last part, and I'll close with this. He tells them, grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's another intentional statement. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He knows that the day is dark. He knows that the circumstances that they find themselves in, the attacks that they're going to come under, what happened in Laodicea is that Laodicea, at a certain point, um, the emperor there declared himself a god while he was still living. And what happened to many of the Christians there is that they were required to worship the emperor. And so a lot of them consented because these were both trade cities. They were on the trade route. They sold textiles. Um, they were getting shmoney. Getting All right, anyway. It was getting money. But it was like, you got to bow to this God, though. Or you're not going to be able to trade and get your money. So the idols of their hearts were exposed. That was the real test of whether they could see or not. So, Paul, when he's making this statement to him, he's not just throwing a random statement or a random greeting. He's saying grace to you and peace from God our Father because he's saying, I hope, he, he, he's, he, he, is, he is saying grace to you, ease to you in the midst of persecution, ease to you in the midst of standing strong for the gospel in light of you unjustly being persecuted, things that you own being taken away. You understand where I'm coming from? The fact that you are actually paying the cost, that you are doing what Paul tells Timothy to do. You are literally suffering for the sake of the gospel. So he's saying grace to you, peace from God our Father, peace to you that have not bit the bait, peace to you who have endured the persecution of holding to Christ Jesus instead of actually falling for everything else so you could not be ridiculed, so you could fit in. Word of God says that we are saved by grace. Not only are we saved by grace, God actually holds us and keeps us and sanctifies us through grace. It is never a matter of your work. You have nothing to offer into this. All you get to do is actually respond to the grace that you're given with joy and love. It produces work because it's so good, right? It produces loving your neighbor, it produces good fruit. But our work has nothing to do with our salvation. And Paul is calling them to be steadied in the truth of what Jesus has done for them because their souls are at stake in the gospel, which is precious. And as John said when he saw Jesus coming, here comes the hope of the world, the one who takes away our sins. You don't let the one who takes away our sins, you don't let the truth of that get trampled on. You don't be nonchalant about that. When you see, when you're poor, and it's all you got. When you're poor, if somebody tries to take your lunch, you got to fight on your hands. You understand where I'm coming from? When you're rich, you might be like, hey, go ahead and take it. But as poor people may be rich in the gospel, He's calling us, don't, don't play with this. This is what Paul is saying to them. This is what I'm saying to you. I'm saying don't, 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 don't get comfortable being lukewarm. There's no work that you go do to not be lukewarm. The work is that you receive the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so I'm going to leave you with that. If y'all stand, we're going to pray and we're going to take communion in a second. I'm going to read the text to you from up here. It says, Matthew 26, 26 through 28, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we take communion this morning, we are coming together as family, people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus because of what Christ has done on our behalf. This is where we celebrate. This is us feasting with the Lord, and the whole feast is about pointing to Jesus. Nothing about it is about us being at the table because we are awesome or anything. This is a complete celebration of Jesus Christ, his blood poured out, his body broken, making us family, moving our transgressions, bringing us, justifying us, sanctifying us, and eternally bringing us into his goodness and and with him. So we're going to celebrate, and we're going to do that this morning as we always do as a church. And I would want to caution anybody who is not a believer and follower of Jesus, not because we don't want you to take communion with us. We actually pray with all our heart that you would take communion with us. But the Bible says that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that you should not take communion this is something that is, actually, that is actually for family. If you feel like God is pushing on your heart right now to know more about Jesus or you feel like he's you know, just, just doing something right now, and even if you don't understand it, there's going to be people up in the front. You can come pray with them and come talk to them, and they'll walk you through that, or you can grab me in the hallway, and we'll be glad to talk more about that with you. But right now, um, if you just give us a moment, we are going to actually do this as family and take communion. Love y'all.